Hello, and thank you for joining the 2020 Water Island Capital Mid-Year Outlook, Navigating Through Uncertainty. I'm Jennifer Bloodsworth, the firm's National Account Manager, and joining me today is Ted Chen, Portfolio Manager of the Water Island Long Short Fund, and Roger Fultinowitz, Portfolio Manager of the Arbitrage Fund, ticker ARBNX. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So, Ted, valuations have been a big question this year amidst the volatility. I know you've been working very closely with Roger and his team in establishing fundamental valuations for parties involved in merger agreements. As you look at the current market landscape, what are some of the factors you and the team are looking at, and what are the questions you think investors need to be thinking about? Sure, Jennifer. Um, As you know, we work very closely with the merger team. A lot of the work that we do comprises – some fundamental deep dive analysis around the companies that are going through mergers. A large part of a merger up transaction is really having a firm understanding of the fundamentals of the business, the strategic rationale for doing the deal, as well as understanding where the stock or the security could trade in the event that the deal does not go through. And so in light of COVID-19 and all the volatility that we've seen in the marketplace, we've been working very closely with the merger up team understanding the fundamentals of the business as it goes through this volatile period. As we have looked at the numbers, some of the things that come to us and strikes us as surprising with regards to the market uh, rebound is that the fundamentals have not necessarily caught up with where the market uh, has traded effectively. And so if you look at the financials, uh, what is currently being baked in, into the marketplace is really a quick rebound in the fundamentals. And one of the things that we are concerned about in particular is the fact that the reopening process may take longer and, and may be slower than the market currently anticipates. And so as we look at the equity market and the valuations today, one of the things that we're concerned with is that, that the market is pulling forward uh, future earnings today and really taking a leap of faith that 2021 is really going to be a normalized year when we think that there's a risk that that could actually not be the case. That's the key question mark for us as we look at the outlook for for the broader uh, market is fundamentals for us have really not come down enough if we think that the coronavirus situation is going to be more prolonged. Um, Clearly, it could easily rebound quickly if we have a vaccine, and that's a big question mark. But on top of that, if you overlay just the rest of the back half of this year uh, with respect to the election and where that might uh, turn out. And when you think about what administration uh, might do in the future for 2021 with respect to shoring up uh, the Fed's balance sheet uh, to the extent that they continue to support the broader economy, uh, whether that is continue to inject capital into the markets or whether they instead figure out other ways to inject capital directly into Main Street hands. Now, these are questions that that, that will undoubtedly cause volatility in the marketplace. Uh, and then lastly, we continue to have the debate around, you know, China-U.S. relations. You obviously are seeing things that are happening in Hong Kong. Uh, and what will that ultimately play out to uh, with regards to the rhetoric that, that occurs and how will that pan out from trade relations? So as we look at the outlook for the remainder of this year, you know, the market clearly has moved up higher. Uh, A lot of that is due to the liquidity injection that's been pumped into the marketplace by the Fed. But we wonder how much of that is truly sustainable 
uh, or how much of that is a pull forward uh, of 2021 and 2022. Great. So, Roger, I know for you and the merger art team, it's meant some uncertainty on deals that were initiated before COVID-19 and the shutdowns, but I'm happy to say the fund is performing really well through all of this. What have you been doing to manage the risks? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a lot of the managing of the risk took place uh, prior to 2020. Uh, it was most likely in the fourth quarter of 2019. Uh, as a firm, we started to uh, take notice of uh, some of the merger agreements uh, that were currently outstanding in our deal universe. And, you know, some of them uh, rose uh, red flags to some of the merger agreements that we saw in uh, during the financial crisis. Uh, we started to see uh, more flexible uh, financing out. So we started to see double triggers um, in merger agreements in which the acquirer uh, could could leave the transaction if, if certain of those triggers were hit. And so it just gave us pause that uh, why all of a sudden these merger agreements were having these uh, very buyer-friendly exits. And so from that, uh, we decided as a group to uh, to have a cash balance. Uh, we also decided during that time period to uh, be 50 to 60% of our max capacities in individual transaction names. And, you know, when, when the COVID uh, volatility hit in late February, early March, it allowed us it allowed us to buy opportunistically and you know as as we look into how how we're looking at managing risk currently i like to kind of speak to these things in phases and you know using our playbook from past uh turmoil markets we we like to keep it simple and and usually there there are four phases to every every crisis in the in the merger art landscape uh, the first phase is usually the liquidity crunch. This is where everybody's caught off guard. They don't have enough capital to take advantage of certain situations. There's margin calls. ETFs are liquidating. And so there's this big liquidity event. And that's where we really get those, uh, we really get those big moves to the downside. And merger our landscape was, <laughs> was, was, also, was, was hit very hard during that time period. And so once the you know once the margin calls are met, once the ETF baskets are are liquidated, you have phase two, which is the opportunistic kind of view where investors who uh, who are looking for hard catalyst situations for quick recoveries, uh, our universe is is usually is usually where the capital is directed, and kind of where we sit is phase three, which is the last mile. This is navigating the impacts of COVID to the target entity, whether or not it's impacted the revenue or the cash flow outlook of the company permanently or it's deferred. And then we look at the commitment of the buyer, whether or not they can see through this uh, COVID epidemic and the impact to the target. And so this is where the volatility, like you were expressing, is kind of more narrowed to our environment, <laughs> right? This is where it all encapsulates. And and that's where we are currently. So like you were saying, what what do we do to navigate? And so we look at deal closures. So deal closures is a, is a fantastic data point on Deals that worked. Like what, what were the common characteristics of those transactions that 
led to that transaction being completed? Was it the strength of the merger agreement? Was it the commitment by the buyer? Was it because financing was obtained prior to the COVID uh, volatility? So each one is a great data point, and it's and it's current, it's live, and it allows the team to kind of chip away at at those characteristics and then stress test the current portfolio. So, you know, just some examples. We've had over 40 deal closures that have taken place uh, since since late February. And, you know, many of these transactions that were completed were in, in some of the most difficult <laughs> industries during that time period. I mean, we had uh, Habit that was being bought by Yum. Uh, that was in the food and beverage industry. So, I mean, that was a certain, uh, that was definitely an industry that was being impacted during the COVID and the uh, uh, separation of people. Uh, Air Castle, you know, that was in the airline leasing business, right? That's That was uh, definitely a very difficult uh, Industry to be invested in, but yet that transaction closed. And so, you know, what, what, what were the characteristics there that led to a successful completion? So, we can go on and on and on over the 40 deals that took place that closed, and we can analyze it. And so, the, the very first things that we look at when we analyze is the strength of the merger agreements. So, we look at strategic deals versus private equity. What was the balance of deal closures? Who's more committed? Uh, whether or not the revenues are deferred or lost. That's a very important distinction. And, you know, a great example is Stryker's acquisition of Wright Medical Group. And, you know, Wright Medical Group's background is is elective surgeries, shoulders, ankles. And, um, you know, during this pandemic, elective surgeries have been disallowed. And so now if you're if you're looking uh, through the lens of Stryker, what does this mean? Is this lost revenue or this is revenue that will be deferred in the future? Because, the, you know, the pain never goes away in your shoulder or your ankle or what have you. So it's just a moment in time where uh, the COVID is front and center in the hospital system. But eventually, once, you know, there's a vaccine or if there's uh, a decrease in, in the amount of COVID uh, patients, well, then all of a sudden – these reopen, people get their surgeries done. And from a, you know, from a free cash flow standpoint or from a discounted cash flow standpoint, this is just moving, uh, one year out. And so it really doesn't change the dynamics of the transaction. It's just, you have to, you know, wait an additional year for those revenues to come back online. So for us, we feel a lot more comfortable in that type of transaction than maybe something that, you know, became obsolete during this time with COVID. And, uh, and then, and then what you try to do is navigate out of phase three to into phase four. And phase four is when the new transactions uh, start to come to the fold. And that's, you know, and that's, you know, the cycle and then everything comes back uh, to be normalized. But where we are now, currently is we're, we're trying to navigate uh, the last mile, phase three. Great. Thanks, Roger. So, Ted, uh, would you agree? What do you see on the horizon in the markets? Yeah, I mean, I think the – so for for from my perspective and also working in conjunction with Roger on the merger side, I think one of the things that's important about the cycle is, you know, you've had this significant rebound in the equity market, and, you know, it remains to be seen, you know, how much of that is sustainable. You know, I talked earlier about, you know, the pull forward of, of earnings and whatnot, but, you know, the offsetting balance of that is just the amount of liquidity that's being injected into the marketplace. And so as we look at, you know, this phase four, so to speak, 
Um, what you typically will see is if you do get a normalized market environment and boardrooms begin to feel much more um, or they have more visibility into, and transparency into the outlook of their own businesses, uh, that does give them the withdrawal to transact again and announce deals. And what's interesting in that phase four environment is typically you will have opportunistic bidders. Um, and so you may have more hostile bids. Uh, you may have deals that are struck that were struck at uh, valuations that are viewed as conservative, you know, given, you know, what the what the volatility was in the marketplace at the time that the deal was struck, and then three to six months later, later as the deal is still pending, um, valuations have significantly moved higher and therefore leading to topping bids. And so phase four is actually a very interesting time in the merger world uh, where you've effectively um, have a scenario where topping bids and hostile bids become more of uh, more than norm, so to speak. And that's something that we've seen uh, happened again and again in 2008, 2009, um, that that was a very big proponent of the returns that the arbitrage fund had. And, you know, we expect that to occur as well once we get some more stability and transparency into the outlook of the macro environment. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Again, I've been speaking with Ted Chen, Portfolio Manager of the Water Island Long Short Fund, and Roger Fultinowitz, Portfolio Manager of the Arbitrage Fund, ticker ARBNX. For those listening who may not be familiar with Water Island Capital, we are an asset management firm with a proven 20-year track record in event-driven strategies across public mutual funds, private investment vehicles, and our recently launched ETF, allowing clients to choose the best format for their exposure. For timely insights on the market, please subscribe to our Notes from the Desk newsletter at arbitragefunds.com. For more information on us, our funds, or our upcoming investment team call later this summer, please call our resource desk at 800-560-8210.